Hello and welcome to the Garden History Podcast. My name is Adley Richmond and I'm a garden, landscape and social historian. On the Garden History Podcast, I will be taking you through my A to Z of garden history based on the people, plants, places and features which you might find in and around the subject of garden history. Today is the letter I for Ice House. Can you imagine life without your fridge or your freezer? No, neither can I. But prior to the invention of these wonderful conveniences, how did people keep their perishable goods fresh, especially during the warmer months? Well, ice houses were the precursor to these household appliances, which we now take so much for granted. But where do they fit in the history of gardens? In the days before refrigeration, fresh food either had to be consumed pretty quickly before it went off or it had to be preserved. And back then, people ate more seasonally. So when fresh produce was in abundance, it was either salted, pickled, smoked, dried or kept in syrup to preserve it for the leaner months ahead. Therefore, the introduction of the ice house was a complete game changer. These structures were used to store large amounts of ice which had been accumulated in the winter months for use throughout the rest of the year. The Chinese had been using this method to preserve ice for centuries, but the idea did not fully catch on in Europe until the mid-17th century. Fresh meat and fish were luxuries that many people could not afford on a daily basis, but those that could had living supplies in their deer parks, fish ponds, as well as in their dovecots and rabbit warrens. Once processed, all this fare still had to be kept fresh for a time, and this is where the ice house truly came into its own. One of the earliest references to such a structure designed specifically for the purpose was the Snow Conserve built in Greenwich Park for King James I in 1619. But it was not until 1683 that the first illustrated description of an ice house was published in Britain by the diarist John Evelyn. The illustration was that of an Italian ice house, probably because people like John Evelyn had fled to Europe in order to keep their heads down during the English Civil War. And while in Italy, they would have enjoyed summer sherbets and sorbets, which were made with stored snow. By the mid-18th century, these structures, now more commonly known as ice houses, were still regarded as the height of luxury. But as the century progressed and their construction methods improved, the appreciation of ice houses became increasingly popular and they rapidly became an essential feature on every large country estate. Now, ice houses were usually built on the side of a hill located on the north side of the house and discreetly shaded within a woodland or shrubbery. 
The majority of them were masonry structures which were buried in a mound of earth or given a thatched roof for extra insulation. They all had the same basic elements, first an outer door into a passageway which led to a second door giving access to the egg or cone-shaped subterranean ice chamber. And in order to keep the structure airtight, the doors were often edged with leather or sheepskin. And a drainage hole and pipe in the bottom of the chamber allowed melted ice to drain away, usually in a nearby lake or pond. And it was the head gardener's responsibility to fill the ice house, and this was a long, cold and demanding job which involved many of the estate's workforce. The ice itself was collected from ornamental lakes, ponds and rivers, and the ice was first broken up and then using a long pole with iron spikes at the end, the ice was pulled into the bank. Men with wooden mallets broke it into manageable pieces, which were then transferred into wheelbarrows before being taken up to the ice house by a succession of men. The ice was shoveled into the chamber and two men built up layers, insulating it with straw or sawdust. If the conditions within the ice house were maintained correctly, the ice could last up to 18 months. However, during milder winters, when there was insufficient ice to be collected on the estate, then it was brought down from the Lake District or the Fenlands, packed in straw-lined wagons. Within the ice house, the food was placed on boards directly on the ice or it was hung in the cold air in trays and baskets on hooks and pulleys. Although efforts were made to keep the source of the ice as clean as possible, it was never actually served in food because of contamination. But in the kitchen, it was used to pack around perishable goods or kept in ice chests to keep wine and other beverages cool. By the late 18th century, virtually every estate had an ice house and although they had a very important and practical use, there was plenty of opportunity to embellish them and as ever the glorious Georgians did not disappoint and they added ornament to utility. One of the first pattern books featuring ice house designs was by the architect Sir John Soane in 1793. Thirty years later, John Papworth's publication, Rural Residences, featured an array of ornamental garden buildings, including ice houses. In most cases, the outer doorway of the ice house was the only indication of its location, so these entrances were ripe for embellishment, with elaborate Gothic archways, classical pediments or rustic frontages decorated with shells and pebbles. Papworth suggested that ice houses could be placed somewhere with a good view out into the wider landscape, making it a pleasant retreat, especially if an arbour was added then it would make an ideal place to indulge in refreshments or private contemplation. In 
He also proposed that by adding scented plants and climbers around the structure, it would provide a greater sense of luxury. So as the estate ice house took on a greater visual importance in the landscape, they were often combined with other features. For instance, at Dunraven Castle in South Wales, a round crenellated stone tower was incorporated within the garden walls. The upper floor was used as a banqueting room and viewing platform with the ice house on the ground floor and this feature became known as the Ice Tower. Similarly, in 1839, at Elverston Castle in Derbyshire, which was the letter E in our alphabet, the Ice House had a game larder on its upper floor. So between 1750 and 1875, over 3,000 estate ice houses were built, fueling an increase in the demand for better ice. As a result, around 1840, the international ice or frozen water trade began to flourish and the quality of ice being stored in these ice houses improved greatly. Crystal clear ice from Wenham Lakes, Massachusetts in the United States became widely available in Britain and ice could now be added more hygienically to food and drink. The popularity of the estate ice house continued right up until the end of the 19th century and as the canal and railway networks improved, both Norwegian and American ice became a very profitable business which now supplied the vast majority of estates. The ice trade also supported the huge commercial ice houses throughout the country and they supplied businesses like fishmongers, grocers and confectioners. They also provided ice to the private ice wells in the cities which served the large suburban villas and smaller townhouses. In fact, the UK continued to import ice from Scandinavia right up until the 1950s. But in the meantime, the gradual evolution of mechanical refrigeration from the 1900s finally made the ice house obsolete. And because of their often secluded positions, many structures simply fell into disrepair. And eventually, for safety reasons, they were filled in and later bricked up. Happily, in recent years, estate ice houses have been restored externally in order to include them in the property's historic domestic narrative. But one ice house survival has been repurposed into a gallery in the grounds of Holland Park in West London, and the park was originally part of the Holland estate. The Ice House is a round building of about 1770 and it is rather unusual in being entirely above ground and it was restored in 1979 and it now provides a lovely contemporary exhibition space for small works and if you ever get the opportunity do go and have a look. So next time you reach into your freezer to get some ice cubes for your gin and tonic, spare a thought for those ice collectors in the depths of winter. 
You can see John Evelyn's original illustration of the Italian ice house, as well as one of John Papworth's pattern book designs on my podcast page at adverley.co.uk. You may also like to have a look at my pinned tweet at Adverley R, where you can see some of the features that I have previously covered. Thank you for listening to the Garden History Podcast and please join me again for the next episode. Until then, thank you and goodbye.